Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From locations in and around the Twin Cities, break the glass, but wash your hands. It's election shock therapy. How am I sounding, Sam? You sound great. Thanks, man. I'm trying to bring the heat, but it's a, it's a little bit weird sitting in my spare room here. That's right. Um, <laughs> the microphone and headphones on. It's Andy's weird sitting you, outside, man. so uh, Mother Nature's at least bringing the warmth, if not the heat. Right. Andy, where right. are you? I am outside my local library using their free internet. So thank Andy, you, you socialist. Internet. What's that? <laughs> you socialist. <laughs> It works. Hey, it's comfy. I'm nice and warm. The sun is shining. It's a good day. You know what is coming up to you and coughing in your face? Nope. Nope. I haven't seen anyone. <laughs> All right. By occasionally. Glad to hear it. All right. Um, Matt, where are you at? I am uh, comfortably ensconced in my uh, home office, which is basically where I'm living um, <laughs> these days. So. Aren't it all we, happens um, right here. So. Aren't we all? Um, before uh, we before Sam hit record, Tommy Moore was in here and uh, <laughs> checking out the setup. And I was wait- I asked him if he had any hot political analysis for us, and he he quickly excused himself at that point. <laughs> Smart guys. I I have a confession to make. I want to get. We're gonna keep this. We're gonna keep this short, mostly for Andy's internet, but also because uh, we have lots of online class duties to attend to. But I gotta tell you something. I'm in a minority on something, and I need to I need to confess this. I love April Fools. I just I love April Fools. I love somehow it so we're hard. not surprised. Um, not a little bit. I love. I think. I, wait, wait, hold on. Let me, let me get this out because this is this is a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit complicated. I love it in even in the, in the, like the normal interpersonal ways, and I even I even love the stupid corporate like. Uh, um, appropriations of April Fools, where like Google puts something out and Advanced Auto Parts and Chick Fil A put something out, and yet I'm imploring anybody who listens in any way in any, who has any power over this, please don't make April Fools happen this year. This is a terrible year to do April Fools. Everyone is stressed. Everyone is concerned. Don't pull anything this year. This is just this is not the right time. No April Fools this year. I'm off the train. I'm off the train entirely. So, so are we canceling the onion then? Is that what you're saying? Yes, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Anything that someone... I believe, I believe the onion is the paper of record for April Fools. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't the onion just publish like real news on April Fools? Is that what they do? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's. I feel like I feel like the onion kind of just like avoids April Fools. It's like it's like. Uh, People who cosplay don't go out on Halloween. Like they just don't want to associate themselves with all the amateurs, right? <laughs> do you guys have thoughts on April Fools? Do you uh, do you care? Do you uh, get? Do you hate it? Do you love it? I would say I would I would edit what you said. I only like the corporate versions of April Fools. I have no interest in like individuals who are into April Fools. I don't want to be pranked. I think that there's a direct connection between adults who like to dress up for Halloween and adults who like April Fools. Oh yeah, yeah. I am both of those things. <laughs> I'm aware of that. Uh, and I am neither of them. <laughs> I feel I feel targeted, but um, but do you okay. feel seen? I do oh. feel seen. 
I do feel sick. Really wearing those like forest suits or whatever. That's right. I did wear, I did wear a ghillie suit last Halloween. Yes, that's correct. Uh, or the minion or, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. or Super Mario. Those are all. Hey, guys, right? if, uh, if, if things go well for the United States uh, come this next October, I might be having a hazmat suit on for Halloween. Who knows? There might be extra extra um, N95 masks laying around or something like that. Yeah, that I could too soon, them. Chris. Too soon, yeah. man. Are we going okay. to <laughs> Good dress up as a virus. All right, friends, we got some. Uh, we got some. Uh, we're not epidemiologists or uh, medical doctors, um, but we do want to talk about some of the impacts that uh, coronavirus is having on American politics, and then at the end, uh, international politics. But we're going to go into speed mode here. So, first of all, uh, Matt and Andy, what are Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders doing these days? It seems as if they've disappeared. Well, they're still running for president, including Bernie, who d- is basically eliminated but thinks he still has a shot. Um, Does he have a shot? Basically. No, not really. No. I mean, if Joe Biden falls over dead, maybe, but, you know, short of that. Yeah, and you, you, at this point, you wonder, like, why is he still in it? Is he calculating that Joe is going to catch COVID-19? Um, you know, or is he in it to try to, you know, influence, you know, the policy direction of the party, which... You know, at this point, I'm not Already sure has, how much, but yeah, exactly. How much more can he do by staying in another three months yeah. when no one's paying attention anyway? Uh, well, it just doesn't make he, a lot of sense. One thing he could do, for example, Joe Biden in an interview just yesterday said that even despite the coronavirus and its effects, he still doesn't support a single payer healthcare system, which is to be fair, is a consistent position for him. Biden yeah. has always supported a, um, a single payer option, but not a single payer system. So um, basically uh, Medicare for those who want it, but um, private insurance for the rest. Uh, whereas Bernie Sanders wants to get rid of private healthcare insurance. And so he hasn't moved Biden on that. So maybe he thinks if he sticks around long enough, maybe he can get Biden to, to move on that, but that'd be pretty exceptional. I think. There's also not a lot of downside to staying in because it's not like you can hold a lot of events right now. So the usual kind of stuff that would you know be super costly is not a big deal. He's got money. Um, he's not going to save it for the 24 campaign. So I, I don't know. If there's a lot of downside to Bernie. Like, you know, how different would his life be if he stays in or versus not at this point? Um, does staying in, does staying in hurt Joe Biden? I mean, I don't think anyone's paying attention, so I don't. Yeah, not really. Really start paying attention again. I don't know what difference any of it makes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden's already been sort of pivoting to, you know, hey, I hear you, uh, Sanders supporters, and trying to speak to them, trying to bring them into the fold. And I think Biden's just doing his best to sort of, you know, pat Sanders on the back and say, hey, let's move on. And he's going to, you know, announce a VP pick probably at some point, maybe not in the so distant future. So I think, I think, you know, most people are moving on, not only because it's not the story of the day, but because, you know, this this nomination is all all but sewn up. There's really not a whole lot to discuss. So. We have um, changed uh, some some states, including Ohio, have changed uh, their primary dates. So we have sort of backloaded this. Yep. There is a possibility that if something really dramatic would happen, that it could it it does create a little bit of a of a window through which Bernie Sanders could could create a moonshot. Right. Ohio is now voting late, much later on, um, and they're doing it all by mail. There will be no uh, in person primaries in Ohio this year. And other states are moving to that direction as well, too. So if something really dramatic happened, a scandal with Biden um, or someone gets sick, then uh, the public could react to that. And that's not so that's still a possibility. 
on the other side, uh, Donald Trump is uh, riding out coronavirus in his his own way. Um, he is in. He has done more um, press con- press conferences uh, since coronavirus, since the entirety of the pre- of his, prior of his presidency. He's yep. on TV a lot, and he's doing a lot of FaceTime, usually uh, uh, buffeted by um, <laughs> Anthony Fauci, who looks like he'd rather be almost anywhere else. Um, <laughs> but um, this is this is overall, from a political standpoint, so far not really hurt Donald Trump. In fact, kind of the opposite. He looks like he's benefited from coronavirus at this point. Yeah, I mean, you get some uh, some benefit. There's you know certainly some rally around the flag effect that you have. If you look at the 538 um, aggregator that aggregates all the polls that look at Donald Trump's approval rating, um, you can see that his approval rating in the aggregate is currently standing at about 45.4%, which is the highest it's been since basically the beginning of his presidency. Yep. And his disapproval rating is down right at 50%, which is the lowest it's been yep. since the beginning of his presidency. So he's doing well. Um, however, the rally around the flag effect that we are seeing now is not nearly as strong as it has been um, in the past when we've been facing uh, significant crises. Um, 9-11 is a great example. There's other examples we could look at as well. So there's some effect, um, but it's not super strong. And some of this, you know, some of this effect is seen, you know, more, um, you know, um, in the middle and on the right. Um, you're not seeing a lot of, um, you know, hardcore progressives or liberals, for example, all of a sudden, you know, saying, hey, I really like and approve of the job that Donald Trump is doing. So I don't think you're really seeing this overcoming the polarization um, and the, 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 the polarized environment we're in. And I think you can just see that in sort of the news media coverage of, of this event as well. Um, and how you have people lining up sort of on both sides, sort of taking shots at each other, um, and either criticizing the president or defending him as they have been doing in the past. So this doesn't fundamentally change that. Yep. Yep. I agree. And I, and I get, I mean, I get emails from both my, you know, Republican representative and Democratic senators. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, like the way they are framing this, it continues to be deeply political. You know, we're supporting these stimulus bills. We're deeply unhappy about the way that the bad guys on the other side have, you know, used this to their own benefit. Right. And I got versions of those from, you know, Tom Emmer and Tina Smith. So it's, you know, it, it does feel like a lot of things are business as usual. Yeah, this is business as usual, Andy. And I, I think in some ways I find that a little bit heartening because, um, it's more typical behavior for Congress to compromise on some kind of a bill, pass that kind of bill, and then afterwards say, oh, we passed it because of the things we like, but we still hate the other side manipulated it and watered down the things that we don't, right. you know, the things that we really liked, and, and they put in things that we hate, but I guess we're going to have to live with it. And these bills, these this stimulus bill, and, and uh, Matt said before we started recording, there's probably a lot more to come. Um, these things really did pass with extremely high margins. In fact, high enough margins that people who didn't vote for them kind of got vilified. And so, yeah, well, I mean, on that point, there's huge incentive to support this bill, right? So, unless right. you're a diehard libertarian sort of fiscal hawk, um, for the most part, you got to vote for this thing, or you're yep. you're hosed um, either yep. in your own primary or in the general election. Um, right. You can't be seen as um, sort of going against what the vast majority of both Democrats and Republicans. Um, what their representatives to do. And of course, yeah. you also have a lot of things that are packed in this bill to sort of grease the track, so to speak. There's a large amount of pork 
um, and other sorts of largesse that's packed into this bill. Billions of dollars worth that um, has also helped to um, speed along um, the, the passage of this, this massive piece of legislation. Right. And so we have two, we have two impacts or two effects going on here. One, Congress is working the way we normally expect Congress to work, which is mm -hmm. log rolling, reciprocity, pork barrel spending, the kinds of things that get yeah. uh, compromised bills passed. On the other hand, we still do see an intensely polarized environment. Uh, Donald Trump is increasingly liked by Republicans and remains deeply disliked by Democrats and progressive liberals. Mm -hmm. And nothing's really changed. Uh, he's as popular as he's been. And he's still underwater. And that's really notable. Uh, Donald Trump really has polling numbers at this point in his presidency, which are comparable to other American presidents heading into um, the third year of their presidency. But what's different about him is how narrow the range has been. And that's really striking, I think. Mm -hmm. yep. um, all right. Can, uh, can, I have, can I have Chris Moore's IR moment? Sure. By all means. Okay. So here's the deal, guys. Um, there's real concern now uh, as, we, as we're starting to get a handle on the real ramifications of COVID-19, this coronavirus, of what it does to our political systems. Now, what I can say is Matt mentioned the rally around the flag effect that appears to be happening in a small way in the United States. It is happening in a lot of other places, too. For example, strikingly, um, in the West Bank and in Gaza, in uh, the Palestinian Authority, uh, that was a deeply unpopular government. And it's actually become significantly more popular amongst Palestinians as a result of the coronavirus because the Palestinians have actually been more aggressive than the Israelis in terms of quarantining, self-isolation, um, uh, preventative measures, social distancing measures uh, within their communities. And they've been really supported by the public in this. And so this has actually been a boon to the, the current the Palestinian Authority. Um, likewise, though, other kinds of governments have, ex have experienced sort of patriotic boosts. So rally around the flag is not an American effect. It's a, it's a global effect. But combine rally around the flag effect with an authoritarian government, and we see some authoritarian leaders really reaching for additional powers here. I'm not talking about China. China was already an authoritarian government, and they remain authoritarian, and they use their authoritarian nature to probably um, – prevent a greater spread of coronavirus, um, although the yeah. reporting is dicey there. But um, yeah. I, to, I just want to, to talk briefly about, yeah, exactly. Uh, talk briefly about Viktor Orban. So Viktor Orban is the president of Hungary and um, Hungary passed a, uh, a law. And I'll just give you some of the brief outlines here. They, they've approved a bill. The, par the parliament in Hungary has approved a bill to allow Viktor Orban to rule indefinitely, um, to not have to call for any elections. In fact, no elections can take place while the bill is in effect, and there is no end date for the bill. And it allows for up to five years in prison for anything the government deemed to be fake news. So basically, he gets to throw anybody he doesn't like in prison, uh, any journalist doesn't like in prison. He doesn't have to hold an election. Um and uh, this has produced very strong reactions uh, around Europe. Uh, um, the Italian Prime Minister, Matteo Renzi, uh, called for uh, Hungary's removal from the European Union. Basically, yep. just kick the whole country out. And the argument that the fear here is that uh, uh, autocrats or potential autocrats like Orban will use the fear over coronavirus to spread authoritarian rule, to, to, to destroy democracy. Um, Andy, are you concerned about this? 
Yes. I mean, I think that is a real concern. It's a chance to grab power while people are afraid and say, I'm doing this for the greater good. We need unified government. You know, we've seen this script in Africa before where, you know, it's like we cannot afford dissension right now. So I need the power. Um, and that seems like what Orban's doing. Now, let me go a step further, and this is really speculative, but is Matteo Renzi just talking big talk here, or is there a chance that Hungary actually gets kicked out of the European Union for failing to be a democracy? I don't know the EU rules well enough, but I assume that there is something about the way you're governed that it, it is a requirement. And in that case, yeah, they would be facing a real threat. I mean, that, that seems like you've abandoned democracy. Um, and so they would be you know, threatened with being, being put out. But, you know, we've seen this in the African Union before where, you know, countries have gotten in trouble because they've abandoned democracy and others have punished them for it. Um, so I don't think you start by kicking them out, but that could be where it ends up. Yeah, I'm concerned about this, too. And I would say for the broader European Union project, having Britain leave um, in the very ignoble fashion that it did and then being forced to kick Hungary out because of a yeah. turn towards autocracy, boy, this would, this is, re it's not the death knell of the European Union, but it is a significant hit to the validity of the European Union at that point. Yep. And I was wondering, Chris, if you could speak to, um, since, you know, I don't really know much about the EU, um, but I've been reading some accounts about how basically the EU's attempt to sort of coordinate a response across its member countries to the coronavirus has basically fallen flat and all of the countries are scrambling to basically reestablish their own sovereignty and how they respond. So they're competing for, for resources and supplies. They're closing their borders. They're basically, um, you know, taking on powers or exercising powers that they really haven't exercised in, in quite some time um, that have been sort of kicked up to the EU um, for, for a long time. Um, and it, do you think this is going to have a long lasting impact or do you think things will kind of snap back um, to where they were before the coronavirus? Or is this, or is this sort of um, going to be a tipping point um, in a trend that we've already seen towards increasing sort of nationalism and sort of self-determination or, or maybe not self-determination, but increasing national sovereignty um, and a push for that, uh, certainly amongst more populist nationalistic elements within the EU. I think that speak to that. Yeah, I think that last point's right, Matt. So I think this becomes an issue at, at, at uh, state level politics. And so I would anticipate... Um, uh, nat nationalist uh, anti-European Union parties in places like Greece and France and elsewhere to make uh, the European Union a campaign issue. No, the European yeah. Union actually gets us sick. We're sick of the European Union, right? We could write these campaign slogans. Right. Um, whereas uh, Merkel and sort of pro-EU leaders would probably end up saying, no, we need this coordinated response. This just proves how important the EU is for coordinated responses. And I think this becomes like a, do, a, a domestic issue at the state level mm -hmm. um, and gets it's, gets uh, sort of meted out there. I think in the short term though, I think real if I was a realist, I would be rubbing my hands and sort of smug, <laughs> being sort of smugly self-satisfied, right? Because that's yeah. what this looks like. It, when countries are really at threat, they behave in a self-survivalist way. And that's really is what countries look like they're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. All Thanks, right, guys. I appreciate um, it. We, like we said, we're going to keep this high and tight. So um, we're going to sign off here before the library comes out and makes Andy get off their Wi-Fi. <laughs>
I was going to ask you guys for um, uh, for recommendations, but instead of recommendations, let me just go ahead and say you should listen to Sam's podcast uh, with Barrett Fisher called Video Store. There is more than enough recommendations in Video Store to keep you uh, invested and interested. Um, I um, I have some of my some of my own takes, but I'm um, I'm going to I'm going to start listening to some or watching some Errol Morris. Sam, how's that? You should do that. It's pretty great. I love Fog of War, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out. Um, what's the next thing I should watch from, uh, for Errol Morris? Uh, for you, I would say Mr. Death. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that, Sam. All right. <laughs> it's, it's a deeply weird four. movie, but yeah. Okay. Um, you can always get a hold of us with other recommendations at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back in your podcast feed at least next week. Um, and uh, so far, stay healthy, wash your hands. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Go Royals. Mm-hmm.